0: Pastor Tim is not here today, they're actually on their way back from a camp out that they did, and uh, so I'm going to invite my lovely wife Lacey, I'm Brady, I'm the executive pastor here, kind of behind the scenes guy, so yeah, that explains why I'm nervous, right? Um, We're actually going to be speaking today, yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. More of you clapped this service than last service. That's good.
1: Like, you don't have to clap. Save your you applause to
0: till later, though, for sure. Like, may not be that great. So, I'm just kidding. Um, Lacey's going to tell us uh, today what we're talking about.
1: All right. Good morning. So, we have been in a series with Pastor Tim on remembering, and the past two weeks, um, past two Sundays, we have spent some time on this, remembering. So, the first week, Pastor Tim... Um, brought us through remembering what Jesus did on the cross for us and really bringing that back to making sure that we personally are remembering that and we had communion together, which is beautiful. And then last week, he talked about remember, like a play on words of bringing the members of the body together. So bringing it all back together and just talking about how important it is to be a body, how much we do really need one another, how we will go through seasons in our lifetimes where we do feel healthy and strong. And in those moments, we can be Um, a light and a help to others, and then there'll be moments where we need help. And so it's just so important, and we're so thankful for this season of Connect Groups, as you mentioned, Um, and just growing those relationships and growing in freedom with one another and having the place that we can be vulnerable with one another and talk about what we're really experiencing and encountering. So as Brady and I started preparing and praying and thinking, um, we really just separate from the series, really, just started coming into this Um, topic and realize like this is right within line of the series. So today we are continuing the series with remembering. And so we want to talk about what it looks like to move forward while remembering what God has done before us. Um, And so we just know, we when we think about remembering the past, a statement that kind of comes to mind with history in general is you have to know your history so that you're not doomed to repeat it, right? Is that how it goes? (laughs) Um, And so we agree, where we agree with that statement, what we um, really want to talk about is um, applying this to our life with Jesus. So we want to say, if you don't remember what the Lord has done for you um, and before you, then you will have a tough time moving forward in your walk with him. So we want to take a moment to look back and remember, and there is a confidence and hope that comes from remembering what the Lord has done.
0: Yep. That's good. So we're going to jump in here. Um, we are going to jump around a little bit. I'm going to warn you now, because the Lord gave us a lot of scripture, and we're we're using it. And so um, be prepared. We're going to jump around. Um, I'll try to uh, keep us in line as far as all the jumping. Bring, so
1: Bring the threads together. Right,
0: right. <laughs> So we're going to start in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Um, let's read it. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls.
1: Rest for your souls. That's, That's good. <laughs> who,
0: good. Who needs rest for your soul? <laughs> yeah. So it's... At this point at, in Jeremiah 6, uh, he's talking to Judah, and there Jerusalem is actually under siege. It's being attacked by an army from the north. And uh, God is telling them, first, stand at the crossroads. So some of you feel like you're at a crossroads. A lot of us do. We, we feel like, and some of you feel like you're under siege. Um, but the cool thing about a crossroads is, is it's a place where you have multiple choices in which way to go. It's a, it's a, it's a meeting of ways to go. What I would say is what the Lord is telling them, um, choose the right way, choose the good way, ask for the ancient paths. And so what, what he's referring to here is the revelation that the Lord gave to Moses, the law and the things that he told Moses, these are the ancient paths, these are the ways to follow, the, and it's following along with God's character and who he is, and it's it, that's the foundation. Um, and I... A lot of people think that the church is at a crossroads. We feel like our church is there. Like we are going into a new season right now. And there's, um, it's, it's just, we want to choose the good way and the way to following the ancient paths. Um, and the church as a whole, like, the, I mean, the things going on in our world today, the church has a choice mm-hmm. right now. And we got to choose the right way that we got to follow the ancient paths. So, um, what he's saying is remember what the Lord has done for you. Remember. Follow the ancient past. Ask for the ancient past and and remember what he's done for you. If we look back in Jeremiah 5, the chapter before this one, I always like to find context. I want to know what's going on when I read a verse. Um, Judah was at this point where the priests were kind of ruling in their own authority. They weren't asking God what they should do. The prophets were lying to the people and telling them untruth, uh, false prophets. And the people, the problem is the people preferred it this way. Mm -hmm. They wanted it this way. And so the fruit of, of this nation at this point is evil. Their fruit is evil, if that makes sense to you guys. They, are, um, they had abandoned the Lord, okay? So my question is, what have we abandoned that's important? And I'm not necessarily saying we've abandoned the Lord, what, I mean, but I'm saying there's things in your life, those things that you've learned that, that the Lord has done for you, some of us have abandoned those things, including myself. Um, And we're constantly surrounded by new paths. There's always new ways to go. There's always directions. There's always choices that you have. Um, There's new paths of modern culture, modern religion, religion. I don't even like saying the word religion, honestly. Um, As a Christ follower, I'm, I'm not about religion. We're not about religion. We're about following Christ. So there's also other ancient paths. There's ancient paths that are not of the Lord. And there's people today that are worshiping um, little g gods from the past and not even realizing it Molech and Baal and all these things that are spirits from the, the past that people are they're ancient paths that people are going down and it's not good it leads to destruction so we have to follow the good way if that makes sense to you guys the good way so uh, that's the way that he set before us and we know at this point they're talking about the law but we know that Jesus fulfilled the law and that's who we follow his way is the truth his word so, moving on. Um, I'm not saying we don't do new things. I know in the past there's been churches that don't allow drums. There's been churches that don't allow video and new music and stuff like that. I, that is not at all what I'm saying. I'm not saying we stick to the old stuff. But what I'm saying is when we find new things, new ways of doing things, and by the way, I've been to some of those churches that don't have drums, and <laughs> I, it's not that fun. I, I, I like drums. Um, <laughs> oof, little churches. So... As we move forward, we do new things because the Lord is moving in new ways. But we always have the foundation of the ancient paths. We always have that good way, and we have to stay there. Um, The new ways are not the Lord adapting to us. He's not adapting to what's happening in culture. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's uh, it's us adapting to how he's moving today. So back when the new church, the, the early church was formed, after the day of Pentecost, they had to do things differently. The Holy Spirit coming in obviously changed things. So they had to do things differently. so how did the Lord build the church? How did he, why did he do it then? Why did he like, why did he do it so differently? And I think it has to do with, there was just an explosion of people coming to the Lord after that day of Pentecost. It said they added 3,000 to their number on that day when the Holy Spirit fell. When you have 3,000 people and you have 120 people that are disciples or apostles, whatever you want to call them. You got to do things different. Like you got to—that's an immediate explosion of people in your church. Um, they had to adapt, but they had to remember the ancient paths that, because what they did still lined up with what the Lord wanted them to do. I hope this is making sense. Um, so in the Old Testament, God seemed to do things a certain way, right? So he had promised Abraham all these things. Abraham had had. Lots of things happened to Abraham, not going there. But his son Isaac, we're going to go to Genesis 26. Like I said, we're jumping around, jumping over to Isaac in Genesis. Let me read some verses for you here. Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold. A hundredfold is a lot. That's a hundred times what he thought he would get because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the, in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Let me read that again. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Sometimes the enemy stops up your wells. Okay, You need that water. You need those wells. And what we're saying today is Isaac remembered the ancient paths. He knew where those wells were, he redug them, and he named them the same thing. If you need a well, you need water, you need that source, you're not gonna go searching around blindly in the land looking for a source of water when you know where the wells are. You redig the well. Mm-hmm. So God, God had blessed Isaac a hundredfold, and he was extremely fruitful in his obedience. He reopened those wells. Um, And he remembered the ancient paths. He knew the good way. He remembered what the Lord had done for his father. And he continued in that way. So here's the question. How do we step into something new? How do we move forward while still remembering what the Lord has done and not abandoning those important things? I kind of look at it like um, if you build a house, obviously when you build a house, you guys know you lay the foundation first. So you have your foundation to me, that's the ancient past. That's the, the the things that we know the Lord has done for us is the foundation. Now, you can build a house on top of that foundation, but in 20, 20, 30 years, whatever, if you're lucky enough to live there that long, you don't like the house anymore. You're like, this house is old. We need to redo this house. We need to redo everything. We're going to gut everything. But if that foundation is still good, you don't break up the foundation and lay a new one. Mm-hmm. If it's a good foundation, you stick with it, and then you beautify the house. Up. You make the house. So that's what we're, we're talking about. When that foundation is good, those ancient paths are good, we go with it. Um, and we don't always know what God's doing in the season. We, sometimes we learn as we go, but when we have those ancient paths, that's, that's when we need them the most. When we have that foundation, uh, we, know that we, we know God's character. We know what he does, who he is. Uh, it makes it a lot easier when we don't know what he's doing in this season.
1: And we can recognize it a lot easier because it will never contradict his word. It will never contradict who he is.
0: Right. So when we got those things, we know the good way. We're not going to get overwhelmed at the crossroads when you have all these choices. Does that make sense, everybody? Everybody following? All right. We're jumping again here.
1: All right. So um, another example of this is Joshua and Caleb. They had to deal with this during the exodus from Egypt. So... Um, We know in this story in the Word that Moses, God told Moses to get one person from each of the 12 tribes of Israel to go in before them in the land of Canaan to get um, intel, if you will, or to, you know, seek out the land and figure out strategy or what they were coming up against. They were spies, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So when the 12 came back, 10 out of the 12 said very clearly and sharply, there's no way we're doing this. Like, nope, not happening. There's giants there. Like, yes, there's milk and honey, but there's giants. And we look like grasshoppers and we're not doing it. (laughs) Um, And so we read in Numbers 14, 6 through 8, two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. So they clearly were not very happy with this. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. New places, right? It is a land flowing with milk and honey. So Caleb, we see here, had a And it says very clearly in the Word that Caleb had a different attitude. He remained loyal, and the reward for that was that his descendants get the full share of the land. Um, So we see that there was a a very clear, distinct difference in the perspective, the attitude, what he saw with his eyes. Um, And then we see in Numbers where Joshua received from Moses, it says that, that, it goes through the section where the Lord told Moses to lay his full authority on Joshua, um, to transfer that authority. So.
0: It's important that we realize that Joshua and Caleb had, they knew, they remembered Israel being delivered from Egypt. And so they knew their God, they knew what he could do.
1: Yes, they remembered what he had done and what he had promised. And yes, yes. Um, sometimes we just forget. We forget. Um, what the Lord has done or where he has brought us from, what he has promised us and brought us through that we've seen. Um, and when I was just trying to think about this in um, life, like an illustration, and I thought of a golf swing, which is kind of funny, but I I feel like that's a golf swing is one of those things that there's so many tiny little elements of that it's so important that you get the fundamentals down before you can ever have any shot of of hitting the ball, right? You have to remember them every time. Every single (laughs) time. So... Um, My dad was a golf pro years ago and so when him and my mom were first married, he wanted her to learn golf and love golf as much as he loved golf and so they could play together and enjoy it together. So he set out to teach her golf and he was instructing her on all of the elements of a golf swing and do we have any, anybody play golf? Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Well, see, I'm going to tell you why (laughs) right now. (laughs) My dad spent... My mom tells the story that that he had her swing a full year at a blade of grass before he put a golf ball <laughs> down for her to hit. So a full year. <laughs> so it's the fundamentals. It's the fundamental. You have to remember all the details. You got to get the grip right. Your thumb has to be right. You have to bend your knees. You have to keep your head down. You have to swing so that your elbow is in a perfect angle, right? And somehow still keep your head on, or your eye on the ball, and then bring it all the way through where your hips are facing a particular direction. You've brought the, you know, you've got the strength in it, you know. Every single detail. And it has to be right every time in order to hit the ball. How many of you know if you don't keep your eye on the ball? you ever <laughs> whacked it a few times, the ground?
0: I can count on my hand, like, all the times on one hand that I've actually remembered every single thing and hit, and hit the ball right.
1: Yes, but he knew if he taught her the fundamentals, then the moment he put a ball down in front of her, she would smash it 200 yards, you know? And, and she's been playing golf with him ever since and having fun. Um... Yeah. So we just want. We need to. This is part of it. Like there, there are elements to remember. There's things to remember with our walk with the Lord. There's things that become a part of our DNA, that become a part of the natural movement. Now, every time my dad hits a golf ball, do you think that he's thinking like, uh, "Okay, hands, thumb, bend, move"? No. It's literally just a natural part. Of, of the movement, of who he is. And we want that in our walk with the Lord. When we're spending time with the Lord, we're spending time in his word, we're encountering things that he's doing for us and among us, among each other, we're hearing from other people, this is what God has done, this is what God has done. It becomes so natural, part of our, part of our DNA. Um, and we see that too with... Um, Joshua, like... Um, in the tent of meeting with Moses, there Moses would meet with God in the tent of meeting. And it says in Exodus there in a, in a bit that Moses would leave the tent of meeting, but Joshua would remain. He would remain behind, so he would linger there in the presence of the Lord. And this, I believe, is part of what changed his perspective. It's what changed his DNA with the Lord, that he knew with confidence and was like, no, no. This is a wonderful land that I see. He didn't have to conjure up courage. He didn't have to um, do something out of his own strength. He genuinely saw the land different than the other ten spies.
0: Right. So Joshua has this perspective on the land. We'll, we'll come right back to him, but I want to I want to uh, move forward a little bit. We're going to jump to Elisha. So in Second Kings two nineteen and twenty two. Through 22, um, we're reading one of one of Elisha's first miracles that he did, and this is right after Elijah had been taken up to heaven. And um, let's let's read it, and then I'll I'll try to explain. He's he's just crossed the Jordan, coming back over into Israel. He's crossed the Jordan, and he's right in the town in the plains of Jericho. Um, one day, the leaders of the town of Jericho visited Elisha. We have a problem, my Lord, they told him. The t- this town is located in pleasant surroundings, as you can see. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful place. But the water is bad, and the land is unproductive. So in this time, you, it's great to have a beautiful town. That's wonderful. But if you got bad water and you can't produce crops, you're in big trouble. Mm-hmm. Elisha said, bring me a new bowl with salt in it. So they brought it to him. And then he went out to the spring that supplied the town with water and threw the salt into it. And he said, "This is what the Lord says: I have purified this water; it will no longer cause death or infertility, and the water has remained pure ever since, just as Elisha said." So this is one of his first things he did as a prophet of God. He he comes to this land that's nice to look at, great, but is unfruitful. The water's bad, poisonous to the to the point where it was causing miscarriages in the ladies; like it was horrible. So he he takes this salt. And Tim talked about it last week. They read this, Lacey read this um, this passage, uh, and he talked about how it's weird that you would use salt because you don't use salt on crops, like that would kill the crops, but he's purifying the water with it. And I think it's largely a symbolic act, um, and I think it's kind of some foreshadowing of Christ and how the church would be this cleansing agent for the water, a cleansing agent for the world to get rid of some of the poison of the world. Um, that's That's me. I didn't... That's not in there, but I, I feel like it's foreshadowing. Um, and so the church wouldn't just be good to look at. Yep. Does that That's make sense? That we actually are fruitful, right? Um, and an agent for change. So, but the main point, the thing, we'll get back to Joshua here in a second, because Elisha knew the significance of this this actual geographic area in the plains of Jericho. This is the first place that the Israelites crossed into Israel, into Canaan, Canaan. at the time. hmm the first place they crossed over when they were going to take the land. So after the 40 years of wandering, after the spies said, no, this place is icky, they, all those guys died, all those 10 spies died. The two left, Joshua and Caleb. This is where they crossed over and this is where they began to take take the promise of the Lord and possess the land. So that's what I want you to remember. Um, and then now we rewind back to Joshua. So Elisha knows the significance of this, how the the land has now become unproductive. Now check this out, back in Joshua 5. This is after Joshua and all of Israel had crossed into the promised land, into enemy territory. And it says, Joshua 5, 11 through 12, the day after Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Mm-hmm. Ooh. So, remember, Joshua and Caleb, they had a different perspective on this. Think about him. He's bringing these people into the land, and they actually get to enjoy the fruit of the land in the plains of Jericho for the first time. But right when they do, manna from heaven stops. Now, I don't know if the Lord told him it was going to stop. <laughs> I don't know. But now that they're actually moving into the promise of the Lord the Lord now provides in a different way and he's providing through the land that they're supposed to take. I think that's significant. And when you look back at, at Elisha, how the land had become unproductive th- from this time period to, to then, who knows what happened. But he's, Elisha's remembering, hey, this is where we found fruit. Like this was the, this fruitful, the land. fruitful land. Right. Yeah. I think that's uh, significant. So how, how, at this point, when the when the manna has stopped, he's got a million something people behind him. How is he so confident, is my question.
1: And that is a good question. <laughs> yeah, because not only did he have to eat and feed his family, but a million Israelites behind him. Um, he was steadfast to the Lord. He knew the promises of God. He knew that the provision would be there before him. And in Joshua 1, 2 through 9, we read, and I'd like to invite the worship team up at this point. <clears throat> um, we're going to read together. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. This is the Lord talking. He says, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea and the West. New places, right? No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it. So the ancient paths, right? All the law. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left at the crossroads. When you come to a crossroads, don't turn to the right or to the left. So we know as we move forward into new places, into new territory, into the promises of God, the things that he has set before us, that we can remain in the law, remain in his word and walk with a different perspective, a different outlook and a different heart um, at what's before us. So before we go on, we do want to talk about what this looks like moving forward. What is that exactly? How does that look? How does it look for us as a church? Um. but before we do that I just wanted to invite anybody that's here today if you guys would just take a moment and close your eyes, bow your heads I just want to give an opportunity right now that you could come into agreement that you may be sitting there and think, wow, I just don't know these ancient paths I don't know the, the law that Christ fulfilled for me I don't know what Christ has done for me. We just want to tell you that today is a day that you have an opportunity to stand before God and exchange all that you are for all that He is. He offers such a supernatural, beautiful exchange by sending His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins that we have the ability to immediately have that firm foundation of Christ. So right now, if you would like to just take a moment, I don't, I don't know if you've been in one altar call or a hundred, but you have the opportunity right now to submit yourself and surrender and say, Jesus, I want to make you the Lord of my life. If you would just lift your hand, so we can pray for you. We're not going to embarrass you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, thank you for these that you've brought here today. Lord, walk with them. Help us to come alongside them. And thank you, Lord, for the great exchange that takes place there in new creation before you. If you made that decision right now, just before you leave, if you would, it's really important to us that we know who you are so we can pray for you. There's a card in your back seat pocket. We'd love for you to fill that out and just place it in an offering box or come up. We will have people up to pray after service. But we didn't want to move forward together as a church without offering an opportunity for for those to come come with us.
0: So what does moving forward look like? Um, We feel like the principles of what we want to talk about in that respect are, are in these stories that we've given. Um, but these are things that we, as Lacey and I were praying and we, these are the things that we got four that we want to talk about. Obviously there's many, many, um, there's many things that people need to move (laughs) forward in. There may be something specific to your life that you need to move forward in, but these are the main four that we'd like to talk about. Um, first one is we want to be a church of disciples making disciples. Uh, In in the early church, this was not a new concept. You know, they had the master-apprentice relationship. They knew what that was, but they had to do it different. Uh, This was part of their heritage, but they expanded so rapidly that they had to find new ways. They had to do this right. And so they had to remember the ancient paths. You know, this is how we've done this in the past, and this is how the Lord is moving today. We talked about how Moses laid hands on Joshua to transfer that authority, and how important it is for us not to just sit by ourselves. This is hard for me. I'm I'm somewhat of an introvert, but for me to help other people, I've got to step outside my comfort zone and and um, and talk to people and find out how what the Lord's doing in their lives. And you know, we've got connect groups and we've got mentorship groups right now that are going on. That this happens, but that's not the only place that it no. needs to happen. It needs to happen all throughout our church. Um, This is one of those things that's non-negotiable. You don't have to be an evangelist. I'm not an evangelist. But you do have to make disciples. That's what he commanded us. And so we believe moving forward, this is one of the the main things that we've got to do. And it's because we're believing for a harvest of souls. We're believing for people to come to the Lord. And we have to be ready for that. And if we're not making disciples, then the Lord could pass us by. And we don't want that. We want the Lord here all the time.
1: We want to steward, too, what he's given us. Exactly. So he'll give us more. And we do that together. Yep. Right? Uh, we want to wholeheartedly follow the Lord. We saw this with Joshua and Caleb, that they wholeheartedly followed. In Scripture, there's a, a portion that talks about, I believe it's in Joshua 14, and it's Caleb looking back over the whole of his life. And he's about to come into the land. Sorry. And he just says, I know, as for me, I have wholeheartedly followed him. And he knows that he's walking into the promise. And he even says, I have the same strength that I had in that day. And I can look back at the whole of my life and say, I have wholeheartedly followed. We want to be people that can go places where others maybe have not yet gone. We want to be able to see with our spiritual eyes before we see with our physical eyes. And to do that, we have to be wholeheartedly following him.
0: We also want to be fruitful. We talked a little bit about this. We talked about how Isaac was extremely fruitful because he was obedient to the Lord. Um, And if... The story from Elisha—if that—if that was truly symbolic of what the church is supposed to look like, if the church is supposed to be a place of cleansing and healing, which I feel like our church is, um, then that should lead to fruitfulness. Yes. Uh, and the question is, what does that look like? What is what is fruit? Um, and I—I I would say the way I look at it is, it's—it's it's the outflow of Christ in your life. So it's it's Christ in your heart moving through you, and you see love, and you see forgiveness, and you see grace coming out of you. But it's not just that; it's also the people that you have influence on. They're your fruit. So many of us re- don't realize how much influence we have over people, and um, some of you already have disciples. You have disciples of um, what to watch on Netflix and what to cook for dinner, or what diet to do, or what. You know, it, there's so many things that we're influencing people for, and that's fine. But I, we, we really want to influence people. And fruitfulness and in making disciples. Um, one of the things that we say, you know, we say, don't judge other people, you don't know what's going on in their lives. This is a one area that we are supposed to judge. And Jesus talks about it in Matthew 7:16, and he talks about how you will know them by their fruit. And he's talking about false prophets, but it applies to us as well. If if you know them by their fruits, then you're gonna know us by our fruits as well. <clears throat> so it's important that. We're not necessarily going to be judged on our spiritual gifts or if we're nice or if we speak well, thank God, but you are going to be judged on your fruits yeah. and it's important.
1: Yes. Um, something the Lord reminded me of during worship, the second service, I didn't say this in first service, but I just pulled out my journal because he had reminded me that several weeks ago... Um, just in a time with him he was speaking to me and one of the things that he said is the glory of God bears the fruit that is needed in this hour so in this day in this hour in this time what we need the glory of God will bear the fruit of what we need so walk that out so I wanted to share that because it, it ties in with fruitfulness but also um The next thing is that we just want to be a people that desire his presence. We wanna be a people like Joshua that stay in that tent of meeting, stay in the presence of the Lord, linger longer in the presence of the Lord, that we're not in a rush to move on to the next thing, that we, when we're connecting with him, we're really genuinely connecting with him, that our heart, whatever areas of our heart have been hardened by this world, by our day, by hurts, by pains, whatever that is, that we surrender that to him and we take a moment to, to let, allow him to break that off so that we can genuinely connect with him. He is not a God that's gonna force himself on us. He's given us free will, and we just we wanna be a people that desire his presence, that desire to be with him to that degree where he can bear the fruit that we need in this hour. Charles Spurgeon said this, Oh, I wish that we always felt in prayer that we would never leave off praying till we found the God of prayer. I wish that in our singing we would always feel that we had not truly praised God at all unless our song had found Him. And every note of it had some one of His attributes to sing. And then he says, oh, what an effort it is sometimes really to get at God. So he's saying like, man, if only we stayed long enough to really connect with him. Sometimes we we need to wait. We need to be tired and exhausted and uh, weary, but pressing on, pressing on, pressing on. So we just really want to be people that experience the tangible presence of the Lord. When we gather together, it's a corporate gathering that is something different than what we can get alone in our closet. And online church is the beautiful thing, and we're so thankful we can be online, but there's something to be said in being in this room of believers that can connect and corporately raise our voices to the Lord. So we, um, well, you can carry on. Sorry. Yeah.
0: Um, we, <laughs> we, uh, we're gonna have Deb sing a song, but as we're singing, as we're worshiping, I just think about these things. we'll 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 have the words for the song, but we'll bring these back up after. Um, think about this and what this looks like in your life and how you connect with the church um, as she sings, as Deb sings.